Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. <laughs> so, like I said, I'm last week when we were looking at what it looks like when you're full of the Spirit. If you didn't get to listen to that, this last week sets up for this week. So love for you to go back. I'm on YouTube or in our podcast and listen to what I said last week. We were talking about the idea of when we respond to suffering and anger or even death, um, it's difficult. We, we, we respond to that in just normal ways and difficult ways. And it's often I respond to, to pain negatively. Um, and what we read last week or what we saw last week is that the Holy Spirit can do things in you to make you respond in ways that are supernatural. Uh, we looked at the, the life of a man named Stephen. Uh, he was actually the first person to die for his faith in Christ. Uh, so love for you to go back and listen to that. When, when, when objects are broken, you get to find out what's inside. Um, so uh, my wife, uh, when we were first married, she was really into geodes. Um, some of you know that geodes are like just rocks that have crystals inside. Super cool. Rocks look simple and normal on the outside, but when you break those things open, they look really, really cool. Some of you have had the experience of having um, a piece of fruit or a vegetable that you cut open and you found out, I will not be eating this um, because it's disgusting. Um, you break, when you break something open, you find out what's going on inside. Certainly, certainly. And this is what we talked about. Like, when we in life are broken open by our circumstances, by, we find out what's inside. We find out what's really going on. You find out what, really, you know, what, what kind of person you really are. Um, the, the invitation of Christ is to be filled with the Spirit. The invitation of Christ is to be filled with the Spirit. The invitation of Christ is to be filled with the Spirit. And I talked uh, about some examples the Bible gives for being filled with the Spirit last week. And again, love for you to listen to those, love for you to take those in. Um, this week when I was reading Acts, so I, I saw another important way to be filled with the Spirit that I, that I didn't cover last week. And so I wanted us to see it. And I wanted us to cover it. So um, just after Stephen is murdered, the guy um, that we was just talking about, this, this, the first mur- martyr for Christ, after he's murdered by religious leaders of his day, we're told about a man named Saul. And uh, Luke, the historian, tells us that Saul watched Stephen be brutally stoned to death. Um, and uh, he was there, and he heard Stephen's last words. He heard Stephen's last words. Stephen's last words were this. Lord, do not hold this against them. Do not hold this against them. Uh, <clears throat> so those words didn't phase Saul at all. They didn't stop him. I, th- I think those are really powerful words for someone being brutally killed to say out loud. Those, those words didn't phase, didn't phase Saul one bit. And Saul, was not, let, let me read you this. Let me read you this. Um, this is what this says about Saul. Saul was not only consenting to Stephen's death, he was pleased and entirely approving. I think it's quite a statement about somebody watching someone be brutally killed. Um, and think about this. So all of us, I, I think, all of us want our police officers to be able to kill people if they have to. But we don't want them saying something like this, that they're pleased an entirely so in the movie uh, Gladiator, if you the movie Gladiator came out in two thousand, um, 
Joaquin Phoenix is in that movie. If you know Joaquin Phoenix, amazing actor. He's amazing in this movie just basically because he is so evil. He convinced, I mean, just so good. Such a, such a great actor. So in the movie, he plays, he plays this um, character called Commodus. So in, in the movie, Commodus creates um, these entertainment events for the people where gladiators fight to the death in the, in the Colosseum, and they, they, the people are eating it up. They cheer when people die. They love it. So in one part of the movie, uh, during one of the Colosseum battles, uh, a gladiator's killed in just this gruesome way, um, and the camera cuts to Commodus for his response, and he is... He's just eating it up. Joaquin Phoenix was nominated for for best supporting actor. He's just great because there's this in this scene. You you believe that he bloodthirsty loves this thing. He's it's 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 disturbing. It is it's the perfect face for the kind of satisfaction that Saul would have been feeling at the death of Stephen pleased at the gruesome death of the first Christian martyr. And it's so self-righteous. Um, it's all in the name of God. It's, it's just, just disturbing, just disturbing. So Saul describes himself in, in this way. <clears throat> I was circumcised on the eighth day after my birth. I am from the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a true Jew, and so were my parents. The law was very important to me. That's why I became a Pharisee. I was so eager to defend my religion that I persecuted the church. And no one could find fault with the way I obeyed the law of Moses. So Saul sums up his life in in just a a few sentences. And it's really hard for us to appreciate uh, what, what it would have taken for him to become this person. But he's dead. I'm entire life is dedicated to being hyper-religious. It's like, it's like um, if you've ever been around a professional athlete and you, you start to hear what their lives have been like since the, the age of three, All their lives have been only football or only basketball. For just, this, is, this is Saul. His life is dedicated, dedicated. His soul's worth, his very identity is wrapped up in being very, very Jewish and very, very religious. And Jesus, Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. And he starts to mess with that. He starts to mess with that. Jesus says um, that that's not the way you experience God. And, and the way that you're transformed into the likeness of God is not this. It's not this thing that you've dedicated your whole life to. And you think that the, this is the way. And so in this new way of Jesus, it feels like um, Jesus is trying to take away what Saul's worked so hard for. Um, and again, you felt this. Anytime, anybody who's trying to mess with something that you've worked really hard for or anything you've dedicated to, when they start messing with that, you, you, you get mad. And you can't always articulate it out loud at first. Saul's angry, very pleased with Stephen's death and all this business. So it says this after that. Um, Saul continued to oppose the Lord's followers. He said they would be put to death. Let me put this in perspective for you with a question. I I want you to think about this. What would it take, what would it take to get Trump and Biden to do a commercial where the, the, the scene comes up and they're sitting at a table holding hands together and they say something like this. They say something like, you know, 
I don't think I'm the right one for this country right now. I want what's best for the country. And the other one says, me too, I want what's best for the country. We are both withdrawing from the race. Whoever is going to be the right person for our country to lead, it's not us. What would it take for that to happen? It's not happening, right? I mean, come on. I'm, it, 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 I can't think of a context where that could actually happen. I, it, it won't happen. There's this, you, you might as well be saying, I'm going to fly up to Jupiter and back. It, there's no way that cannot happen. I'm going to read this up to you. So when a, woman, um, when a woman's caught in adultery and she's about to be stoned to death, as, as Jewish law prescribed, it says this is what should happen. Jesus steps in between her and the people who are about to kill her and shuts them down. Shuts them down. What would it take to turn Saul into a person like that who would do something like that? When a woman who's been bleeding, bleeding for years, nonstop, she's in a crowd. Jewish law is clear. It is super clear. She can't be in crowds. She can't be near people. It is unlawful. It's just... Jesus heals her. He doesn't heal her. He calls her closer into the crowd. Calls her closer into the crowd. He says, because of your faith, you're healed. What would it take? What would it take to turn Saul, who loves, loves to make sure that every law is kept, what would it take to turn him into a person who would do something like that? What would it take? It's impossible. It's just as impossible as my silly example of Trump and Biden sitting there holding hands. It cannot happen. It cannot happen. People don't change. Same old Daryl that I was 20 years ago. People don't change. People don't change. You go to your high school reunion and the person that you saw was goofing off. Same dude. Saul could never become a Jesus follower. But many of you know he does. He does. How, how could it happen? It is just as drastic and it is just as ridiculous as the example that I gave you, if I brought it up, if I was, could go back in time and bring it up to the Christians who are around there, I said, what could we do to get Saul to become a Christian? They would laugh me out of the room. They would say, He's, what are you talking about? He's trying to kill us. On the way to persecute more Christians, Jesus slaps the mess out of Saul. And, and, so just for those of you guys who may not know the story, not literally he doesn't do that. Um, <coughs> But Jesus appears to Saul in a way that knocks him to the ground. And Jesus asked him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And <coughs> when Saul gets up, he can't see. He can't see. I want you to think about that in real life. That situation in real life. If you believe that Acts is true and that it's, a his, it's history, if you believe that really happened, that's enough, right? That would be enough to change someone into being the kind of person they should be, right? That should be enough. 
Jesus knocks the crap out of you and you're, that's enough. It's not. It's not. It's not. You guys have all heard something like this before. You, you, you've seen people or heard about people who've gone through terrible things and they get up and they say, oh, I'm going to change. And then they're the same people. So I have a friend um, who, uh, who told me that during, during her high school years, many of her friends drank heavily at parties until a young man that we'll call Will for our story today. Will died after he had been drunk driving. He'd been drink, he, he, <coughs> leaving a party, died. Horrific tragedy when a teenager dies that way. Will's funeral is attended what felt like uh, everyone in the world at the time, I'm sure. So when that happened, all the teens, all the teens, they swear off alcohol. We're not going to be drinking anymore. This is a terrible, terrible thing. We are, we're going straight. We're gonna, that should be enough, right? To watch one of your friends die, that should be enough to get your life straight. I'm not doing this anymore. That should be enough. Several months later, guess what happened? Back at it. Same stuff. You would think that would be enough for you to be like, okay, oh my gosh, that was, this is terrible. Well, I went to the funeral of my friend. That's enough. I'm going to change. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. Visions of angels, brushes with death, even appearances by God himself raised from the dead is not enough to change self-centered people into Christ-like lovers of others. It is not enough. It is not enough. So Saul's on his way to Damascus, knocked down by a vision of Jesus, struck blind for days, but getting slapped down by Jesus is not enough to change Paul. Listen, 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 listen. In Damascus, he's on the way to Damascus, and he gets there blind. Wait, what's next? In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And Ananias knows who that is. Listen to what he says. <clears throat> Ananias went, um, I, I, dang it, I skipped that part. Basically, what Ananias says is this. No. <laughs> He's going to try to kill us. And God says, you go. He's ready. Because in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place hands on him and restore his sight. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eye, from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. You see it. Like if, if all he needed was to be knocked down on the way on the road, then he don't have to meet nobody. No one has to come and talk to him after that. That's not enough. 
It's not enough to get, get blinded. It's, all that's not enough. He needs to become the person that all of us Jesus followers know who becomes Paul. To become him, something else has to happen. And we read it right here. We read it right here. Saul is praying and making himself available and vulnerable to Christ. And when he is willing, the Holy Spirit, when he says, I give up, (laughs) I'm done with this, the Holy Spirit gives him a chance to become the person that he wants to be. And the verses that Jordan read just a little bit earlier today, they're Paul writing where he's saying, I can't be the person I want to be. Except for this, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Paul gives, Saul gives permission for the Holy Spirit to make him a new creation. Then, then a murderer could become a Christ lover of others. Then. Some of you guys know the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, Jesus, you're a great teacher. And Jesus says, Who cares about a great teacher? Let me tell you something. If you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you have to be what? What does Jesus tell Nicodemus he has to be? Born again. Good luck making that happen. He doesn't say, go home and memorize this. Go home and do this. He says, guess what? You want to become a part of this kingdom? You have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, (laughs) Um, let me show you this. Another example. Um, Some of you guys know that Rome is the empire that's the setting for most of the New Testament. Um, Rome becomes an empire a little bit uh, after Alexander the Great dies. Most of us have heard of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great goes through conquering the world. When he dies, his generals try to fight to figure out who's going to be in charge. So there's all this turmoil and civil war and all this business. But eventually, a general named Octavian subdues everyone and establishes himself as emperor, the beginning of Rome. So that's, that's like 30 years before Jesus is born. So <laughs> that's the setting for how Rome begins. And so in Roman culture, the primary desirable trait among all Roman males was the, their definition of their masculinity was strength and honor and courage and the ability to make your enemies do what you say. Skill and courage in combat were highly valued above, above education, above public speaking, above family background. If you were fierce in battle, it could force your enemies to do what you want. That, that was highly admired. What kind of power you have was built around that. And they're immersed in this kind of thinking. There was absolutely nothing about a Roman male that, that should signify weakness or vulnerability. Fear was considered womanly. Mercy was unthinkable. Roman marriages were transactional. Uh, They were typically arranged by the families of like the bride and the groom. And the role of a wife was this, to provide legitimate heirs for her husband's household. And beyond that, she had no expectation or right to demand that her husband would only have sex with her. Like, uh, so Plutarch, a Roman biographer, wrote this. He, He says this. 
<clears throat> a man's infidelity actually um, should actually be seen as a compliment to his wife and a sign of respect for her since he had chosen to share his debauchery, licentiousness, and wantonness with another woman rather than degrading his own wife with them. This, this is their culture. So <clears throat> how could a man living in a setting like that expect to navigate this culture and, and become a leader in this culture and be a follower of Christ? How could a boy who grows up seeing his father and all the men that he admires behave this way but hope to become anything other than a derivative of, of one of those guys, power-seeking, weakness-avoiding kind of man who gets what he wants and never apologizes to anyone and never lets anyone in? Let me introduce you to Cornelius. Listen to this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his, all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up to me as a memorial offering before the Lord. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. So you have this guy named Cornelius, and he's a good man. Um, somehow uh, he, has, he, he is a leader in the Roman army, and he's not defined by Roman culture like nearly everyone else around him would have been. Um, he's devout, and he does good deeds, and he helps the poor. Uh, he lives ethically in fear of God. Um, he, he's probably not roaming around cheating on his wife. Uh, he respects the morals and ethical teachings of Jewish folks. So you would think, you would think that's it, right? Cornelius, good job. You've done it. Well done. That's not what it says in the vision, though. He is good. He, if he was a part of our church, we'd be like, oh, he's done. And that's, that's, what, that's what God wants us to be. That's, what, that's it. This is the thing, right? Cornelius is good, and he's nice, and he's doing, all, he's doing all the right things. But God sends an angel to Cornelius, and he's, here's what he's saying. It's not enough. It's not enough. This isn't a competition between who's nice and who's not. And even though Cornelius is what we would all call a good man, he is still vulnerable to the power of sin and his culture and the world around him. He is still vulnerable to it. And God says, that will not be enough. I don't just want to make you nice. I want to make you new. I want to make you born again. I want to do something with you that you can't do by yourself. I want you to listen for when it happens. Listen to this. Peter comes to Cornelius' house. This is a great story. <clears throat> this is a great story about how he gets there. And we don't, we don't have time for how Peter ends up getting to his house. There's a whole great story about that part. But when Peter comes over, he shares with Cornelius and his friends and his family. You know the message. God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. 
I should pause right there and just say this. Cornelius knows his story. He knows about Jesus. He knows that people were saying that Jesus is risen from the dead. But everything about Jesus, everything about Jesus is the opposite of what his culture would be telling him to be. And on top of that, Jesus dies in the most publicly humiliating way possible. So to embrace a person like that would be so countercultural for Cornelius. Be very, very counterintuitive. As a Roman centurion, it's the opposite of, of all his thinking and all his training. So I'll go on. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. This is Peter talking. He says, you know what happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John, John the Baptist preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem, and they killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead and all the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. So the Jewish people who were there with them, they they see these non-Jewish people getting the Holy Spirit and they're like, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit as we have. And he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You see it, right? You see where they're transformed into something that they could have never been on their own. The Holy Spirit, the Holy, something that you can't control, but they can only surrender to. They can say, I give up. I give up. Cornelius certain, certainly had his family ready. They, 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 they were good and they were nice, and that's, that's, those are good things. But Peter had come to say, This is Jesus Christ. And the people had to say, We give our souls and our lives and our beings, we give up. We can't be what Jesus wants us to be. Come, Holy Spirit, and make us new. Come, Holy Spirit, and make us new. So, listen, uh, throughout the Bible, uh, this is what people do. This is what people do. They say, We give our souls and our lives and our beings to Jesus. We cannot be holy on our own. We cannot be holy on our own. We decide to give our lives and our physical. To you, a physical picture of, of what that decision is like is baptism. And the Holy Spirit begins to make you new in a way that you can't do. So I'm selfish, I'm judgmental, I'm petty. I can't stop being like that for an hour. How can I be a person who is not those things? I can't. 
The Holy Spirit has to make me into what Jesus intends me. Otherwise, it will not happen. It cannot happen. If you've never done that, if you've never connected with baptism, I'm going to surrender to you, Christ. I will, that, that's your starting ground. That, in church, in religious settings, it is easy for you to start to think the goal is for you to be nice and to be, and for you not cheat on your spouse and for you to, to give money and stuff like that. That is not the goal. The goal is to make you new, to make you into something that you cannot be on your own. The only way that happens is this. Surrender. Surrender. That's the starting point. In just a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. And so if you've done that already, I'm inviting you during this time of communion to re-surrender to the Spirit, admitting that you can't nice your way or obey your way into being what Jesus wants. You can die. You can die. You can die to your way. That's it. My way is over, done. If you want to be a good husband, you can't be it by yourself. You want to, you want, you want to be a great wife? Mm-mm. You want to be a good dad? You want to be a good parent? You want to, you want to be next level? You cannot. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.